the children and the youth who are with us gathered today uh, have not been receiving most of uh, Romans. Uh, I hope that if you're a parent here today, uh, that you will have been sharing something of the messages uh, of the last uh, months as we've gone through Paul's letter to the church at Rome. That's what the book of Romans is all about. It's, it's Paul's encouragement. It's Paul's enthusiasm for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that he is writing uh, to the church at Rome. The church right at the centre of the empire, the, the Roman Empire, the preeminent power on the global stage. By God's grace, there is a church found there in that capital city. And Paul writes to enthuse them and to encourage them. Now they have a lot of questions. And Paul tackles those questions systematically, methodically, as he goes through his letter, addressing their concerns, uh, helping them to understand the very nature of the gospel that the one and the same gospel is applicable to all men. All human beings stand under the righteous condemnation of God because of their sin, because of their reckless waywardness, their, their fickleness, their refusal to obey God, rather to pursue their own objectives. We've reached chapter 11 in, in Romans and we're going to be looking at from verse 16 through to the end of chapter 11 today. Uh, the series I've entitled Paul's Gospel from Faith for Faith. The gospel that he preached came from the unction, the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon him, drove him to gospel ministry, drove him to preach of a faith that can transform and can save, that God saves through the, his gift of faith. This morning's message is entitled, God's Olive Tree, the Divine Plan for Supernatural Growth. God's Olive Tree, the Divine Plan for Supernatural Growth. As we read scripture, or rather as Benny in a little while reads scripture for us, we'll see there that Paul talks about an olive tree. This is a, a metaphorical olive tree. All right. Now the church throughout the ages is compared to an olive tree. And Paul says to the church at Rome that there are natural branches on this olive tree, and then there are unnatural branches that are grafted in, that are made part of this very same tree. And children, you might be thinking, what on earth is going on here? Well, if your parent or your grandparent is a gardener, they might be able to explain something more about this principle of, of chopping off branches and ingrafting branches. There's a very real practice that goes on where we can revitalize plants and trees by grafting new roots or grafting branches. This is the kind of picture that Paul is using to describe the reality of the church. Now, of course, 
When he refers to natural branches, he's referring to the Jewish people, the people of Israel, God's chosen people from the Old Testament. And when he's referring to unnatural branches, he's referring to everyone else, the Gentiles, people from other nations, tribes and tongues who, by the grace of Christ, are in, included in God's people. But the challenge in Paul's word is that we must be faithful to him as he is faithful. Because natural branches can be cut out if they're not bearing fruit. Even the unnatural branches that have been grafted in, they don't necessarily remain in if they have not borne fruit or if they become self-righteous and self-confident. So as we unpack this message this morning, we're going to try and understand more about God's supernatural. Forget about the natural and the unnatural. Let's focus on the supernatural. Because that is God's divine plan of salvation for all people. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or if you're Gentile. If you're from Asia, if you're from Africa, if you're from Europe or America, wherever you're from, there's one way to be right with God. And that's through the supernatural transformation of our hearts, whereby faith in Christ is planted unshakably. Paul is addressing the issue of what about the Jews? Have they failed? in their stubbornness and their failure to accept Jesus as Saviour. Let's consider that for a moment. Rejection is hurtful, isn't it? Think about that for a second. Rejection is hurtful. Whether it's an unrequited love for someone that we have a romantic affection for, if we've got a crush, right? And they reject us, that's hurtful. Or perhaps a parent who, for whatever reason, lacks the ability to show and communicate their love effectively to us. That's hurtful. That can feel like rejection. Perhaps they're struggling to get the work-life balance right. Perhaps in, a, in an age of austerity, in an age of uh, the cost of living crisis, they feel no, they have no choice but to work every hour that God sends to put food on the table, to pay the mortgage payments. Winter's round the corner. We might be in the height of summer. But did you notice the longest days already come and gone? We're already the other side of the summer solstice. Winter will be here. Before long, how are we going to pay for our energy bills? Sometimes our parents feel stretched beyond what they can manage with. Even in church life, it's all too easy to be misunderstood. For there to be a breakdown in communication, to lead to talking over, us talking over or talking past one another. Or not to talk at all. All too often, 
feelings of rejection and hurt can appear and grow, leaving us grieving and saddened, leaving us despondent and hopeless. Friends, the first Christians no doubt felt that when the first century Jewish church was gradually and increasingly given the cold shoulder by Jews who refused to recognise Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, as they closed their doors to the Christians, to those who followed the way, those Jews who had come to salvation and who had begun following Christ, they stepped out into a new world where they began taking the good news of the gospel of Jesus to all the world, didn't they? We had a reference from the Great Commission earlier on. They were to take that gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, remember? There was now no longer Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, no male or female, per Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. All can be set free by Christ from a life of slavery to sin to inherit the benefits of Jesus as his brothers and sisters. Friends, salvation has now come to all peoples. But it must come by faith. We must receive it and embrace it. Some in the church had gotten so frustrated with the response of the Jews, they wanted to turn their backs on them. The Jews who had apparently, at least for the time being, as Paul tells us, the Jews had been hardened in order that the gospel of Jesus the Christ would have its full effect of saving all whom God intends to save from among the nations of the world. Paul says in, in his letter here, the failure of so many of the Jews would mean riches for the Gentiles, as we saw last week in verse 12. <coughs> Hallelujah. The bountiful and generous grace of God is, is now pouring out to the nations on peoples from every continent and background. People like you and I. What is important to Paul is that this gospel mission is not hindered or limited by ethnic divisions or grudges. Can you see that when you read Paul? There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. The gospel of grace is going out and there's no barriers to that. Aside from the stubbornness of unrepentant human hearts. You know what I mean? Paul wants the gift of God to spread everywhere, including to the Jews, his own people. Paul says this hardening of the Jewish people is only a partial hardening, as we'll see in verse 25. All people including those who appear to stubbornly refuse Christ, are possible new converts, friends. 
Just think how hard we once were. Just think how much God has worked to soften our hearts. To soften your heart. To soften my heart. Let's let Paul speak, shall we? As we read from chapter 11, Benny's going to come and read verses 16 through 36. Romans eleven sixteen to 36. If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you will also be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is well by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his irrevocable are irrevocable, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them. On the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracking out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 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 A wonderful passage of scripture. Thank you, Benny, for reading for us today. Uh, if you're taking notes, um, I've got three points, three D's today. Firstly, dependency. Dependency. Who are you depending on? Secondly, deliverance. We all need deliverance. And thirdly, doxology. Doxology. That last few verses that Benny read is the doxology. It's the Romans doxology. And some of you are sitting there thinking, what on earth is doxology? Well, it's the praise of God. 
It's Paul's outpouring of praise. Uh, having declared these wonderful truths about God's supernatural power to save, Paul then reflects on those. He reflects on the mystery that such salvation should be ours. And he gives God the glory. How unsearchable are your ways, O Lord. How inscrutable. Yours is the glory, always. Everything you have made is for you, Lord, to reveal your glory. May it be our praise of God too. Let's unpack, shall we? Firstly, dependency. Now, the crucial message of Scripture is that we depend on God. We depend on God for everything, for the air we breathe, for the food we eat, for the clothes we wear, for the gifts and talents we have. It doesn't matter if we're people of faith or not. We depend on God for all these things. We're either grateful or we're ungrateful. We're either walking in faith and belief or we're walking in faithlessness and unbelief. That is the reality for us as human beings. But by the grace of God, he has shown us that salvation is available in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are dependent on God for Christ, his son, to be our saviour. Are you depending on him today? In one of Paul's later letters that he writes, a shorter letter than Romans, he warns a young pastor named Timothy not to ordain recent converts. Don't ordain recent converts because of the danger of them becoming conceited, he says. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. You see, the danger, friends, is that some people run away with their salvation. That they head off in a, a random direction with the idea of their newfound holiness. Forgetting that it's a gift from God and not something to congratulate themselves over. Friends, true salvation never causes us to look down on others. But it causes us to gradually and more fully appreciate how loving our God is that he saved us from ourselves. That we were and are completely lost without him. That is saving faith in Christ. When we realise how dependent we are on God for his grace. How can this truth lead us to the Lord? Sorry. How can this truth lead us to lord our salvation over others? How could we ever despise unbelievers for their lack of faith? How can we treat others as if they don't deserve salvation? Which of us deserved salvation? Did you? Did I? None of us did, friends. The reality is that anyone who is saved, whether that's you or whether that's me, whether from a Jewish or some other background, none of us deserved our salvation. But instead it is a free gift of love from God to us 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul wants the church to be rooted in the truth. To be rooted in Christ. To never forget the sacrifice that was necessary to rescue us from our sins. Only this humbling faith that constrains our egos, that trains us in humility and keeps us dependent on the mercy of Christ. Only this faith will keep the gospel engine of the church moving forward. Otherwise we'll be swept away in the tide of celebrity and narcissism that we see in front of us continually. As soon as we make salvation and the church of Christ about ethnicity or culture, then we begin the slow descent into factions and divisiveness, into rivalry and all manner of godlessness. What does Paul say in verse 18? Do not be arrogant towards the branches, says Paul. Which branches? Well, these are the branches of the olive tree. Does anyone here have an olive tree in their garden? There's a few. I know my parents have got an olive tree in their garden. Yeah, there's a few. Prabhaka and Shobhana, Bill and Pat. Yeah, Brother David and Sister Brunta. Well, in Scripture, a picture that God gives of Israel, the people of God, is an olive tree. Uh, If you remember back to the call to worship this morning, we heard from Hosea, didn't we? And there Hosea, God speaking through the prophet Hosea, uh, describes Israel as an olive tree. But the reality is that only the healthy fruit-bearing branches will remain in the tree. God will break or cut off the branches which are unfruitful. Branches which show no signs of the life and vigour of Christ. After all, only olive branches belong in an olive tree, don't they? So what kind of fruit are you bearing? No, we are not to, nor could we ever, if we're listening to Jesus... We are not to be arrogant towards the Jews or towards our former pastors or churches, wherever we've come from, whoever has been the root, the means of channeling of God's grace to us. We are to love them, even and especially if they've gone astray, especially if we've come to appreciate, if we have come to appreciate a clearer understanding of the word of God. We must always be ready to minister to all the glorious grace of our Saviour, Jesus. Why? Because we are dependent on him. Remember God's kindness to you, says Paul. And remembering God's kindness should transform our attitude towards others. It removes all sense of entitlement. It removes, a, uh, it gives us a correct understanding of God's kindness in Christ, which removes all sense of complacency and self-exaltation. We are dependent on the grace of Christ all the days of our lives. If we are not, then we may be in great danger 
We may find ourselves cut off in verse 22, as Paul says, just like the Jews who rejected Jesus. We give thanks that Paul reminds us of the glorious grace of Jesus. When was the last time you reminded someone of the grace of our loving God? We are dependent wholly on God's mercy. His mercy shows us the deliverance which is ours in Christ. Jesus has come to take away our sins. That's my second point. Verse 25, in case you be wise in your own sight, says Paul. Just in case you're wise in your own sight, just in case you're tempted to wander off into your own sense of self-importance. See, Paul is well aware of our tendency as human beings to become conceited, to become self-congratulatory and complacent, to be comfortable in our lives and overconfident in the comforts we've been given. And so which comfort is our priority? Is it the comfort of knowing who we really are? Sinners saved by grace. Sinners who are dependent on the grace of God for every breath, every meal, every opportunity to live another day. As friends, there's a distinct lack of grace on display in the world all around us. Woe betide us if such a lack is found in us if we claim to be followers of Jesus. Isn't it the case that we must come to our knees every day? Even multiple times a day to correct ourselves and to seek God's empowerment to walk upright and godly lives? Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah in two places in verses 26 and 27, demonstrating the need for God's Messiah, Jesus, to come and bring his salvation to his people. His people are not a perfect, sanctified, righteous people. His people are a sinful people. There are people who need to have their, uh, their ungodliness banished Far away, there are people who need to have their sins removed. But all praise be to God evermore, because he himself will do this. God chooses to remember our sins no more. Yet God cannot simply forget. Those sins need paying for. So God, in his wisdom, sends his blessed son, Jesus, to become our deliverer, as he says here. Jesus becomes the one who rushes in to save us. There's a clear sense of urgency and desperation in the rescue mission of Christ. Have you ever appreciated that fully? Maybe not. Jesus isn't like a half-hearted, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll save him. He comes dashing in, running in to save his people, snatching us, saving us. You know, Yoko and I recently watched a dramatic series on Netflix 
all about the nuclear disaster at Fukushima. Some of you may remember that name, Fukushima. Fukushima Daiichi power station in Japan. An urgent crisis that happened following the magnitude 9 earthquake off the east coast of Japan back in 2011, 12 years ago. The earthquake triggered a tsunami which inundated numerous towns all along that coast, killing 18,500 people. 18,500 people perished in that tsunami. A terrible tragedy, yet a tragedy that could have been magnified so much more by the damage caused to the nuclear reactors at Fukushima. Countless brave men and women at the power station risked their lives to help contain the disaster and limit the spread of deadly radioactive pollution. It is quite simply a miracle that the disaster didn't kill many more people and render a large part of Japan, including the city of Tokyo, completely uninhabitable. There was a very real danger that Fukushima could have been several times worse than the Chernobyl disaster in 1986. Who remembers Chernobyl? Anyone? Chernobyl in Ukraine, that nuclear power station, the fourth reactor, went into meltdown and radioactive fallout was, was dropped all around the world not just in the neighbouring area, but all around the world. Do you remember some of the deforestation? Remember some of the acid rain that, ca that came because of that? Some of the sheep and livestock affected, never mind the people. Well, Fukushima could have been so many times worse. But instead of running away to save their own lives, workers from the power station together with the emergency response teams and the Japanese self-defense forces, stepped in to work against all the odds to limit the radiation pollution and prevent a meltdown. Thanks to their selfless actions, an unimaginably worse tragedy was avoided. Friends, the Lord Jesus did not abandon us to the tsunami of sin that is inundating us. Jesus is well aware of the great danger we face in judgment and he has taken our sin upon his shoulders. Jesus has turned back the tide of God's wrath and made it possible for us to live on now even to eternity. What a saviour we have. So let us be wise, not in our own sight, says Paul, but with the knowledge of God's amazing grace in Christ. May that knowledge, may the daily awareness of God's loving kindness towards us, that loving kindness that has saved us, from sure and certain death. May that make us wise so that we can continue to offer that same grace to anyone and everyone who we encounter. Whether they be Jews or others, people from our past, even those who have hurt us. 
Are you listening to me, friends? Let us celebrate together as branches in God's olive tree, bearing fruit to the glory of his name. And that brings us to worship, my third point, my final point. Let us worship God for who he is. In verse 29, Paul tells us that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Does anyone know what irrevocable means? I used to work in international trade, right? And the documents that we used to ensure payment are called irrevocable letters of credit. Which means once you set that ball in motion, once the terms of that letter of credit are invoked, payment is guaranteed. It's irrevocable. Paul says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They are irrevocable. They cannot be taken away, both to us who have received God's mercy and all those who will be saved. The Lord our God will accomplish the salvation of every person he intends to save through the precious blood of Christ, his Son. He will not fail to save anyone he intends to save. Hallelujah. Paul also tells us, doesn't he, that there is no one righteous. Remember his argument from chapter 3? All have gone astray. Well, here in chapter 11, he says, God has consigned all to disobedience. Why? Verse 32, that he may have mercy on all. We must all realise our dependency on Christ. We must all see the deliverer who he has sent in time and space and put all our hopes on him, even the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God made us to require an active and living relationship with him. Apart from him, we will only walk in misery as a result of our sin and wrongdoing. We cannot know love, we cannot know truth, and we cannot know ourselves truly if we do not know God. And it is God's world. So he is entitled to make us this way. He is our Father. How can we live if we do not recognise and look to our own parents? How much more so? Our Heavenly Father who made us and knows us on the molecular, cellular level. As young children, we are aware. Sorry. As young children, we are unaware of all our parents do for us. So we are unaware of all that God does for us and why he does it. Paul communicates this here. Paul describes the mystery of God's plan of salvation. How unsearchable are God's judgments. How inscrutable his ways, verse 33. This means that we cannot fully reason out why it is and how God acts. We do know that he has sent Jesus to be the saviour of the world. 
And each of us who have come to put our trust in him appreciates his saving grace towards us. And if we are his, that appreciation grows month by month and year by year. Yoko has been interested in what happened at Fukushima in 2011. But she learned new things this year by watching the series that revealed more about what happened then. So too, by learning more about what Jesus has done, by reading his word, by spending more time with our brothers and sisters, more time with our families, serving an intentional mission, more time thinking about how God uses our occupation to glorify himself. As we work as if he were our boss, not our earthly managers. Who is watching you, friend? God is watching you. But so many others are too. Do they know you're a follower of Jesus? What does your life reveal to them? Having been purchased by Christ, is your life now a life of worship? Are you now a living sacrifice, intentionally set apart from the world, from top to bottom? Has God's great saving mercy so captivated you? Does Christ's greatness blow your mind? Well, it should do, friend. For from him and through him and to him are all things, says Paul. Verse 36. Paul's fellow apostle John says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Have you, friend, seen the light? Are you now captivated and motivated each day by the love of Christ for you? If so, let us say with our brother Paul, to God be the glory forever. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer.